COVID cases continue to surge, with Taiwan reporting 431 local cases on Sunday and New Taipei City once again breaking the 100 mark in a single day. At this stage, the central government not only needs to boost the nation's morale, oral drugs have become key in the treatment of moderate to severe cases. As to whether these drugs will continue to be delivered to Taiwan or whether Taiwan will sign new contracts with drug manufacturers, Health Minister Chen Shizhong remains optimistic. There will likely be a lot of good news. We now have 7,200 courses of oral medicine and 16,000 courses of the remdesivir injection. So we do have medicines at the moment. It's not like we have the need for medicine and there isn't any. COVID is also surging in schools across the country. By April 9th, more than 200 schools in 15 counties and cities had been forced to suspend classes owing to COVID. However, the criteria for suspending classes seem to vary between counties and cities and don't seem to be consistent. Chen says the CECC is drafting a set of unified standards and they'll be published in the next couple of days. Currently, people with mild symptoms must be quarantined in hospitals or government facilities. But as case numbers continue to climb, many think it's a matter of time before patients with mild symptoms are required to be quarantined at home to prevent hospitals from becoming overwhelmed. New Taipei City Mayor Hoyo Yi is already prepared. He has created a trial home care system for his city, which will be activated as soon as the central government gives the green light. New Taipei is the first municipality in the nation to introduce a home care system for patients with mild COVID symptoms. The trial run kicked off on Sunday and Mayor Ho was on hand to make sure that every step was carried out properly. In fact, New Taipei is more than ready. In order to ensure that the nation's hospital and treatment facilities can maintain their capacities, the sooner we implement the system under the directives of the central government and the sooner we prepare, the better we will be. In the face of a surge of domestically transmitted cases, New Taipei has seen its daily caseload surpass the 100 mark for five consecutive days. Hull stressed that the vast majority of infected people have had mild or even no symptoms at all. To prevent the nation's healthcare system from becoming overburdened, he is keen to implement his administration's trial home care system, which is divided into two themes, daily life care and health care. This includes our entire audiovisual system, which everyone can enjoy for free. So there's no problem. You can buy whatever you want from home. The home care package is a cornucopia of instant noodles, crackers, milk, as well as antigen self-test kits, masks and a digital thermometer. The mayor promises that they'll be delivered within 24 hours of entering home quarantine. We have established a disaster response level intelligent command and monitoring platform to assist the public. Whether it's daily life care or medical care, all problems are divided into one of two major areas. We must do this well. As for the healthcare side of things, the city government will announce the details on Monday. It has already worked with seven hospitals to create a fast pass system for those who test positive. 
An app has also been created so that patients' health conditions can be ascertained via smartphones. This local government seems ready for action once the central government gives the nod to home quarantine. With the explosion of local cases, more and more people are rushing to get their third shot of COVID vaccine. 52% of Taiwan's population has now received a third dose. Health Minister Chen Shizhong wants that figure to be even higher. 1,200 places for those who wanted a COVID vaccine were made available at Taipei Main Station on Sunday afternoon. The central government and Taipei city government have jointly come up with an incentive of offering gift certificates with a combined value of 1,000 NT in return for getting vaccinated. Members of the public, half of whom were older adults, turned up as early as 7 o'clock in the morning. Many said they had been reluctant to get a booster earlier, but with case numbers ballooning, the fear of infection had gotten the better of them. While many people headed outdoors Sunday to seize the balmy weather, and the weather will remain nice for the next few days, Thursday is when things will start to change as the northeast monsoon picks up again, sending the mercury down. Meanwhile, the second tropical storm of the year, Maggie, formed Sunday morning east of the Philippines. Meteorologists say that severe tropical storm Malacus will be moving close to Maggie, potentially combining their powers. But a direct hit on Taiwan will be unlikely. The sun was shining brightly over Taipei today as temperatures reached 31 degrees. However, the movements of two tropical storms that have formed in seas east of the Philippines are attracting attention from meteorologists. At 8 o'clock this morning, Maggie, the latest tropical storm, was formed. Maggie is hovering over the ocean some 1,300 kilometers away from us. The forecaster pointed to the CWB's latest typhoon tracking map. On the right-hand side is severe tropical storm Malacas. Although Malacas is likely to intensify into a typhoon, it is heading north towards the seas east of Japan and poses no threat to Taiwan. As for Meggie, it is slowly moving eastwards. The two storms will gradually move closer to each other, possibly resulting in the Fujiwara effect. But it is unlikely that Taiwan will be directly hit. The two of them are currently more than 1,000 kilometers apart, so there may be such an effect. If there is an impact to be had, Taiwan's east coast could see some big waves. Daytime temperatures across Taiwan will soar this week with large temperature swings between daytime and nighttime. However, starting Thursday, temperatures in the northern regions will drop by 7 degrees, with higher chances of rain, as the northeast monsoon picks up and the weather front arrives. By Thursday and Friday, the northeast monsoon will strengthen and the northern and eastern regions will have cooler temperatures all day. In the north, it will drop to around 22 degrees. Don't think that because the weather is going to be hot in the next few days that you need to put away your winter clothes. You're still going to need a jacket on hand for the mornings and the evenings when the mercury takes a dive. The Center for Naval Analyses, a U.S. Navy advisory group in the state of Virginia, recently held war games simulating a Chinese invasion of Taiwan in 2030. The group looked at four scenarios, Taiwan simply surrendering, 
The Taiwanese military gathering all its strength to counter Chinese troops that have already landed on the island. Taiwan mobilizing its reserve forces to prepare for a war of attrition. And finally, the U.S. military leading allied countries to support Taiwan. And the conclusion? Taiwan is prepared to launch a counteroffensive, according to the Navy Advisory Group. The key thing about wargaming is not who wins or loses, but what you can learn from the process. The four scenarios looked at the degree of US involvement, then the way it would intervene and the equipment it would use. Each result will probably be different. One thing Taiwan can do is to strengthen its own national defence capabilities. Whether it's military investment or all-out national defence mobilisation involving civilians. When we talk about all-out national defence mobilisation, this doesn't just mean that everyone has to be a reservist or a rifleman or whatever. It means we have to be like Ukraine. IT workers can remain IT workers and do their thing. Unmanned drones enthusiasts will keep to their drones and they can do their thing. If everyone can come together when there's a strong will to resist, of course our defence abilities will be better. At such a time, it will also be comparatively easier for the US or other allies to give us any kind of support. In the face of China's gradual military advancements, Taiwan can only strengthen its psychological defenses and consolidate its will to resist the enemy for its own self-protection to be possible. Albinism is a hereditary genetic condition that causes a lack of pigment in the hair, skin and eyes. In Taiwan, about 2,000 people live with this condition. Two of them are Ling Yuxuan and Li Xinghui. Together, they are the only albino couple in the country. A few years ago, the two of them decided to start a family, triggering a storm of public controversy. Some said the two were being selfish, forcing another generation to live with their genetic condition. But others supported the couple's decision, saying it was nobody's business. Today, in our Sunday special report, we check in on the couple who show us what life is like with their expanded family. It's five in the afternoon, and Taichung is still stuffy with heat. Lin Yuxuan and her firstborn walk in front, followed by father Li Xinghui. They're headed out together to pick up their other son from preschool. Lin and Li are the only albino couple in Taiwan, and both their sons have albinism too. The lack of melanin in their skin means they can't spend too long in the sun. The condition also means they have vision problems, which make daily life a little bit more difficult for the family, including the children. I can read this because he writes it all very big. But for documents like this, texts that use a font size 8, I have to use a magnifying glass. Nowadays, I take a picture with my phone and zoom in. She told me her kid sits in the front row in class. I asked her whether he was able to see the blackboard and she said no. I asked, so what does the teacher do? She says, 
They write it on a small white board for him. Often, people with albinism can have visual acuity as low as 2100 or 2200. It's also common for them to face bullying at school. For example, if I touch someone's desk, they might say, "Watch out! Your desk is diseased now." Starting eighth grade, I started touching their desk often on purpose. I was so mad. It was before middle school. They would make fun of my white hair, and they'd ask me if it was the same color as down there. Lee is the only one with albinism among three siblings. His hometown is in a rural and conservative part of Miaoli. He had a rough childhood here 30 years ago. People said I had hooked up with a foreigner. My mother-in-law said she didn't want the child. I told her that if I, his mother, don't want him, who else is going to love him and care for him? I hugged him and cried. Nobody wanted him. Whenever he got sick or anything, I was the one to do it all. There are about 6,000 genetic disorders that humans can be born with, but not all of them can be found through tests. For example, diabetes and high blood pressure are hereditary. But can you test for them before birth? No. Currently, our instruments and technology have no way to predict skin color, hair color, or eye color. There's no way to do that. Lee's mother wanted to save her child from further torment, but in the end, her son married a woman with albinism, and they had two albino children together. I said, if you get married, so be it. But don't have children. They said okay. I told them how difficult it would be. I said raising a child is really very tough, and especially when both of you are like this, it'll only be harder. 两个如果他都是白化症，然后同行的话，基本上生的小孩不管男女，几乎全部一定都是。If both parents have albinism and it's the same type, their children, no matter if male or female, will all have albinism too. That's the laws of hereditary because it's a recessive genetic disease. About 2,000 people in Taiwan have albinism. The condition makes them stand out in society, and many experience rejection in dating and marriage. But Lee and Lin found each other and decided to move forward together. After marriage and knowing full well the consequences of albinism on daily life, they decided to fulfill their dream of having a child despite their family's reservations. In 2015, they had their first child, and one year later, they had their second. Both boys were born with albinism. We had the means, so why not? My wife said that this way they can keep each other company. I said okay. I didn't think about it much more. Some might say that we are selfish. Like, how could we want to go for a second child after having one like that? I thought it's fine. This is our life, and we are the ones living it. 假设说我们老了走了以后，他万一没有个伴的话，我会觉得就很，就是应该怎么讲呢？没有人可以。Say once I'm old, after I'm gone, if my older son has nobody else, I would think, how can I put this? 
if at that time he has nobody to help him, at the very least he would have a brother or a sister to help him. Besides the vision problems and the lack of melanin, there's little else that's different between people with or without albinism. Like many other parents, Lee has arranged extracurricular activities for his children, such as piano lessons. Academically, it's tougher for them than for regular people. That's without a doubt. But I think that you just have to accept that reality and then get used to it. There is always a way. Many people don't know what albinism is, so they might have a lot of questions about it. Over the past two years, I've been running a YouTube channel. I want to show everyone this is albinism. Lee works at a musical instrument shop where he sells guitars and repairs musical instruments. That salary, plus a 5,000 NT subsidy for the visually impaired, provides enough money to raise his family. Back when Lee and Lynn began forming a family of their own, they triggered a storm of internet commentary that has not stopped to this day. Some internet users called them reckless for deciding to have children. Others offered words of encouragement. One physician had this to say. Perhaps many people wonder why they want to have children. There's one thing that I hope can people understand. And that's not just about albinism. In our society, people love being backseat drivers. I think that's awful. Who are we to decide who gets the right to have children? I find that appalling. We shouldn't go and encourage them, but we also shouldn't tell them not to do it or try to prevent them from doing it. That's our spirit. While building their family, Lee and Lynn were subject to much discrimination due to their genetic condition. Today, thanks to advanced technology, couples can assess their genetic risk factors before they try to conceive. Through genetic testing, you can rule out whether the parents carry certain genetic diseases, such as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, thalassemia, and other severe recessive diseases. Even if the parents are healthy, they can get a specimen taken for testing. Albinism is passed on in an autosomal recessive inheritance pattern. That means that both parents have to carry the mutated gene for the disorder to manifest in the child. Even people with black hair and melanin in their skin might carry the gene. The only way to know for sure is carrier screening. After conception, the fetus itself can be screened for albinism. If the testing requires a large amount of genetic material, the only way to know is after the mother gets pregnant. Then, 11 weeks in, they can come for a checkup to see if the fetus is healthy or not. <laughs> 
Today, couples who want children have access to more genetic screening options than ever before. But the big question is, are they obligated to use it for family planning? People who study hereditary care about one thing called non-directive genetic counselling. This is very important. That is to say, we can help the patients make a decision however they like. You can have your own opinion, but you can't tell others to have that opinion, especially when it comes to hereditary diseases. The late afternoon sun shines down on the family. Two kids and two adults unlike anyone else on the street. For this albino couple, raising a family has been a life-changing undertaking that they face with courage and with joy. A team at National Taiwan University Hospital has unveiled dietary guidelines for people with dysphagia or difficulty swallowing. Older adults often have trouble swallowing hard foods due to dental disease and loss of muscle strength. Other groups at risk of dysphagia include people with brain injuries, Parkinson's disease, motor neuron lesions, or localized head or neck cancer. The NTU Hospital's team's guidelines are based on an international framework for classifying foods and liquids based on their texture and thickness. People with dysphagia are advised to avoid thickening or watering down their food too much, as that raises the risk of choking. They say that eating slowly with proper posture is also important.